It's time for a new evolution in raising golfers, one that doesn't involve headaches, tears, or heading down the path of unknown. Whether you're trying to introduce children to the game of golf, help them play competitively, or play at a collegiate level, you're in the right place. This show is for any parent, player, or coach who wants to build a better team at home and on the golf course. This is the Raising Golfers Podcast. I'm your host, Travis Hauser, PJ professional and father of two lovely boys. Today, our guest is Kate Tempesta from Birdie Basics, and we're going to talk a lot about early child development in the game of golf. At what age do you think is a good age to start? I've started as early as two, and I mean, it just depends on what kind of environment you're creating. And I'd like to think my program is case in point, but since 2007, we've been teaching, we started off teaching three, four, and five-year-olds, but then as time went on, we had parents ask for their two-year-olds. And so we started a program in the spring. We gave them, you know, the opportunity in the fall to kind of acclimate to school and acclimate to separation from their parents. And we started a little program for two-year-olds. It's going to be really fun to hear her experience, her knowledge, and some of the stories she's had from coaching children of such a young age. And if you're interested in getting your young child in the game of golf or want to help them stay interested and thrive, this episode is going to be a great listen for you. All right, Kate, welcome to the Raising Golfers podcast. Awesome. Thanks for having me, Travis. Yeah, I'm so excited to have you because I've always seen you as the guru of young child development in the game of golf. And I think you have so much knowledge and experience to share with everyone. And I'm just so excited to talk to you about that. That's awesome. Well, I I hope to share some nuggets that people can take away and and implement right now. Absolutely. So uh, the first question I have is, what should a parent understand about child development and interests for kids around the ages of three to six? Gosh, I mean, there's so many things. But I think the basic um, understanding that, that gets overlooked is the power of play. And it sounds probably to a lot so simple. And of course, I know that children need to play and and I give them lots of opportunities to do so. But I think it's really understanding just how powerful that modality is, how important it is in a child's development, and how serious it is. You know, it's a great Fred Rogers quote, like play is is serious work of children, and it it could not be more true. Um, And I think the more we understand that, the more we embrace it, the more we employ it, the more magic you'll see. You'll see happier children. You'll see joyful learning taking place. And if you really observe children at play, I think it's pretty clear just just how much goes on in those moments of dramatic play and pretend play and isolated individual play. Um, and I think it's just it's really bringing more awareness to the idea. Um, that play is so much more than just kind of cute. It's really powerful and really important. Do you think that us as adults, we try to treat young kids like adults too early and restrict some of their play? Absolutely. I mean, you know, childhood isn't something that we need to rush through to get through to get to the other side so that we can become you know, a a more advanced reader or understand STEM better or robotics or, you know, anything like we're not, we're not mini adults and there's a real purpose of childhood. And it's just simply not meant to be jumped over and gone through quickly. It takes time. You know, there's a great, there's a great scientific report about birds and how birds spend so much time in childhood. And they're actually some of the smartest species on the planet as a result, because they spend so much time in childhood. That's, that's very interesting. Yeah. 
if I could go back and be a child again, I would love to, to be honest. I mean, there's obviously some of my you know fondest memories is, is growing up as a kid and just yeah. being able to play and having that freedom. And even in today's yeah. world, I mean, you would probably agree with me, you know, when we were kids, play was even different than it is now, right? Oh, 100%. 100%. There's just so many more bells and whistles and, you know, things to yeah, try to achieve and, and everything's at the forefront on social media and the internet. And it's just so fast. And it's just, you know, back to the idea of like, rather than taking pause, not even taking pause, but just allowing the stage of childhood to really unfold and take place. We're just trying to get through it to get to the next greatest bell and whistle. And, you know, there's a lot to be said for just staring at the walls, playing with a stick, riding your bike, getting lost. And, you know, it's, <laughs> there are real ramifications of that not going on. Right. No, I agree. So how important is the learning environment that kids are in then? Oh, it's, it's enormously important. Um, I mean, it really takes, it, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's magic. It's a craft of really creating a deep, engaging learning environment that taps into you know, not just the subject at hand. So let's say, you know, you're teaching them math or golf. Um, you know, I always use this example, like the whole child approach, right? So golf is a physical skill, right? We have to use our bodies and move through time and space and hit this little thing. We know that it's cognitive because there's things going on in our head and we know it's social. But like, I think when, when it gets overlooked, when we're actually teaching children, we need to take a look at that whole child, like what's going on socially in their world, when they come to the lesson to hear the class, what's going on emotionally? Like, have they just had a little argument with mom and dad? If they had an argument with their friend, what's going on cognitively? Like, what are they able to understand? And so how does a coach change their language, get on their level and speak to them in ways that mean something to them rather than just, here's how you grip it. Here's how you stand. Here's how you posture over the golf ball. Like, wah, 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 wah. So it's like really... <laughs> understanding that there's this little human being with very big emotions standing in front of you. And there's so much more than just a little person attempting to hit a white golf ball. They're like, you have to understand who they are, what makes them tick, what are their interests, where they are cognitively, what they can understand. And that's a real craft. It takes, it takes a real deep understanding of children, I think, to do it very well. I, I totally agree. I mean, just with my son, one thing I've, I've learned and realized is just trying to understand what his thought is or what his his reason, let's say he's upset about something, right? And just yeah. acknowledging that situation to him will calm him down rather than right. just trying to move him on to the next thing and not acknowledging the situation. And I think just acknowledging right. their feelings and, you know, like you said, emotionally and socially and physically, yeah. and it's just so important, isn't it? Absolutely. I mean, you, you hit the nail on the head. Children want to be heard. We all do, right? Every human being deserves to be heard. And if, sure. we are, if we are simply saying like, oh, you'll be fine, like that's not a big deal. Well, think of how that might feel to a young child. Well, no, they're feeling something. And as I said, they're little human beings with really, really big emotions. And they're actually very, very intelligent. So have a conversation with them. Get down on one knee, look them in the eye and, and listen to them. And, and, and help them navigate through these emotions. Because, yeah, I mean, you hit, you hit the nail on the head. There was a quote from, from Dr. Seuss, and he said something like, a person is a person no matter how small they are. Yeah, yeah, totally. And I think that's just in line with exactly what you just said there. So yeah. do you think kids learn better at that age in groups or in a one-on-one or small group or big group type of setting? There, there are always exceptions, of course, but I have seen in my 20 years working with young children, the peer group learning is very powerful. 
And of course, there's, you know, the one child that might need a little bit of extra time one-on-one, getting them involved socially, you know, especially at the early years, like two, two and a half, um, where they're still just coming out of like, they're really about themselves and, and, and they get into the peer groups. But by and large, those, those early years, I think is peer-based learning is the way to go or peer, peer group, peer group learning. Peer group, right. Yeah. Yeah. An issue I had when I was, you know, when I'm coaching in China is we get these kids that come in that are five or six years old and the parents want them to have one-on-one lessons right away because they think that it's more time with my child. That means that they're going to have more learning. But I think that it doesn't have an environment that kids actually thrive in, right? And there's this quote I came across and it says, only where children gather, is there any real chance of fun? And I think it's so true, right? Yeah. I mean, yeah. if I were a five-year-old, I wouldn't want to be hanging out with, with an adult just by myself, even if it's playing golf or doing something I love, right? It's There's no. there's just no environment and there's no atmosphere behind that, right? No, absolutely. 100%. So, you know, parents are busy. They're, you know, you might have both the parents working in the family and it takes a lot of energy to spend time and coach and teach children of this age how do you find that kind of energy to to work with children at this age as a coach and as a parent? It's a great question. I just fell into it. It was nothing that I studied in, in school formally. I actually studied sports medicine. After several years of being in the city and, and working with injured athletes, and I, I found the director of a nursery school. I was helping her rehab her knee replacement. And I walked into this preschool on the Upper East Side of Manhattan. And I just like, it, it just hit me like a ton of bricks. I was like, what is this Mecca that I have just found? I walked through the library and through the art room and saw these children like full of life and energy and just raw, just play going on. And it was just the most magical aha moment I've ever had. And it was that moment that I knew I wanted to be around it. And, you know, over time working with this director, she offered me a position teaching and I immediately started taking classes at a early childhood, you know, college level program in the city, um, Bank Street, and just found some wonderful mentors. And I, like, I just never knew I had it in me. I mean, my parents are both educators and, and I grew up with tons of cousins and an Italian Irish family with being around a lot of kids. Um, but it was, I just, it just hit me. I'm just a big kid, really. I'm just a big kid. And I, I think for me, finding some mentors very early on and just seeing the power of play. And I, and quite honestly, I'm going to be totally transparent. I had lost my sense of play living in the city. You know, I, I, I was a three-sport athlete in high school, two-sport athlete in college. I came to the city. I lost my sense of athletic purpose. Uh, you know, here I was in a city of millions of people, didn't have any friends because it was just so I just was an old soul and I wasn't like into going out. And I just really f- lost my sense of play. And it was when I walked into this nursery school, it just so much opened up, you know, and so much came to life for me. And uh, and then I started recognizing, realizing just the, the just not only my own, the power of play in my own world and life. But to see these children learning through this this mode of, of play, and it was just it was just incredibly powerful. And so I think that's that's my energy is my energy is the children. I just I think they're the most brilliant, funny, awesome creatures on the face of the earth. That's so cool. And look, I'm sure looking back over the last twenty years, like the feeling you have now of what you've done in your profession with golf now. It it must make you so happy looking back and saying, well, geez, I'm so happy I made that transition from 
just feeling yeah. like you had lost all of your energy to now you've had so much energy, you're still thriving and there's so much more potential for you in the future as well. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, I'm, I'm definitely, I'm proud of what New York city gave me <laughs> all the lows <laughs> and the highs. Right. Um, and, and I'm, I'm, I'm proud of what the children have given to me and, and the sport of golf and how I've been able to combine the two and, and really make it my life's passion. That's cool. So getting back to some of the kids of this age and what parents are, you know, their expectations or what they're looking for, how would you measure success or progress for kids at such a young age? That's a great question. I mean, I I don't want to just simply say like, well, they're having fun, they're joyful. I, I think it's pretty obvious when you see a child that is so immersed in the learning environment and has like really feels a safe connection and sense of belonging in the program. And only good things will come from that. And so that to me is, I think, the biggest success. The measure of success is how much a child feels safe and nurtured and, and, and a sense of community, a sense of belonging. You know, I, I don't care if they're hitting the ball 50 yards and up in the air. If they're smiling after they're hitting it and they are really connected to their peers around them, to the coaches, they're happy when they walk away. They're excited to come back. So many good learning opportunities come from that. So oh, yeah. I don't know if that answers your question, but... No, I think it does. I think you'd sooner want to see your son come out of a program smiling and happy and, Dad, I can't wait to go back. Or, Dad, this was my favorite part of class today. Or, you know, and it could be like hanging out with Billy. It could. It might not even be like, oh, I made three soccer goals. It's like, I, you know, I really want, I can't wait to go back because Coach John is so nice. You know, or I can't wait to go back because I love my friends. That like that's a huge measure of success. For sure. And like we said before is, you know, immersing them into something just mm-hmm. builds so much interest and character. And people ask me all the time, they say, oh, you know, your son loves golf. And geez, I wish I could get my kid into golf. And, you know, I start asking them what they've done with their kids to, you know, get them interested in golf. And, you know, it's just, yeah. oh, I sent them for a lesson or they had five lessons on the range. They don't seem to like it. And Right. And they asked me, what'd you do? And I said, well, you know, he's immersed. He, he sees me play golf. Right. We watch golf on TV together. Right. He has little golf books and little golf magazines, and he's got plastic clubs at home. So right. his life is golf. And because of that, he is he enjoys it. Right. And that's right. what keeps him going. And he's immersed into the sport and he's not pushed into it. He's not told to play. He just thinks that golf is part of life and that builds right. his character and it builds his interest. And you'd be surprised what comes out of that. Right. And the kids just come. Totally. They're so happy. Right. And so totally. I, I totally agree with you. So if parents come to your program and you're teaching young children how to play golf, mm-hmm. how do you talk to them about expectations and what their expectations should be? I mean, I lay out the tenets of the program. I mean, it's very clear on my website. It's very clear on the literature that we send out for the registration process. And so I think, you know, the vast majority of parents go into it understanding that, okay, this is a play-based approach and I'm down with that. Of course, there's always the parent that's like, wait, why are they playing with a puppet and pretending to get like some injured bird into the ambulance? Like they should be working on their grip. You know, I definitely broadcast that throughout the literature and the website. Um, and then one of my favorite parts about our program is the language that we speak. We call them birdieisms, and I'm sure we'll get into that a little bit more later on. But you know, these simple metaphors that teach the technical and tactical components of golf, and we do it through this little silly mascot. And so she's standing on magic shoes, and we talk to the children about where they put their feet, and their hands are best friends. 
And there's a picture of Birdie with her hands smiling at one another. And so it's very easy to disarm a dad that comes in. I don't mean to be sexist, like a mom or dad that comes in and says, well, you're not teaching them how to hold the club. Well, I actually am. I'm just using language that resonates with your four-year-old son, right? And so we're talking about Birdie's hands are best friends. And that's all I care about right now because we will get to, when the time is right, we will build on that and get to an interlocking, overlapping, Varden grip, whatever. But right now at age three, four, five, six, brand new to golf, we're going to talk about our hands being best friends. And as soon as I pull out my library of Birdieisms, they kind of look at me like, huh, that makes a ton of sense. Like um, now I have a language that I can speak with my child when we go to the driving range or the putting green or when we're playing golf in our backyard. And they see the proof in that pudding where it's like, wow, my child now knows how to line up to the ball, square up their club face without having to use any of those words. They understand how to make a backswing and get into a great balanced finish. But I'm again, I'm not using any of those words. And as soon as they can see that, then they kind of, I think they can lean in a little bit more to all right, there's a purpose. So she's telling this funny story through this orange puppet and they've got these game pieces and there's lots of crazy materials that the kids are getting their hands on, but it makes sense. And so that's how, you know, and it's, again, there's definitely always the outlier that, I don't know if it's outlier, but it's, you know, the one person that comes in saying, yeah, no, I think we're going to go with private lessons because I really want to get him into tournaments. You know, okay, well then I'm just, this is not the program for you. And I totally respect and honor that and good luck. <laughs> right. Yeah, no, it's true. But it, it, and it, it's good that you also just say that, you know, it's, right. it's, it's not the program for them. And I think parents, you know, you know, we're of both course. parents, but we, we want the best for our kids, don't we? And sometimes we forget, especially when we see some type of progress or, or we have pre-existing expectations, right? Yeah. We forget that the kids right. are still kids right. and they don't learn like adults do. And you know, you even see some kids that let's just say they're already playing tournaments at age six or seven. And then next thing you know, they're pulled out of the group programs. Yeah. They have to get put on a track, man. They've got to have the one-on-one lessons, right? And now yeah. they're starting, it's turned from fun to work. And you're no longer teaching a child like a child. You're starting to teach a child like an adult. And I personally think that that is going to be a quick recipe for disaster. Right. And I mean, back to what we said 15 minutes ago is, is childhood is not to be rushed through. It is a process. And so it's helping the parent understand, let's embrace it. Let's be patient with it. This is a child-centered, student-centered approach, and we will get there. And the technique will follow. And, you know, but we, we have to create a passionate, young, joyful learner before any of that can happen. And in order to do that, we need to honor where they are developmentally. For sure. I want to get back to fun because I like to talk about things that are fun for kids who are ages three to six is fun all the same for them or do they have fun in different ways? They have fun in different ways uh, for sure. I just, um, yeah, yeah, several years ago, you probably know some of these gentlemen, but we were talking about having like a fun conference because it drove us nuts that, you know, every junior golf coach in the world is like, yeah, just keep it fun. Just keep it fun. No, what you have to define what fun is because what's fun for a three-year-old is not fun for a four-year-old or a five-year-old or a six-year-old. There there are commonalities for sure. And some things can be fun across the board, but many, many, many times, there's just a thread on the Facebook forum the other day with, with um, female golf professionals. And one woman was struggling with her, she, she just wrote a post saying like, I'm really struggling with these juniors that I have and what can I do? And there were so many people that chimed in, keep it colorful, keep it fun, keep it this, keep it that. Well, 
first of all, how old are they? Because junior golf is, we're talking like from zero to 18, right? So let's number, <laughs> number one, let's define what you mean when you say junior golf. And number two, so then there was like, I don't know, someone came in with an idea on like, sing them the golf song. It's on YouTube. Well, if you're talking to a nine-year-old boy and you're going to sing them a golf song, probably not going to resonate with them, right? So you, just, you, you <laughs> no. really need to understand your audience and understand what is fun for them. So for a three-year-old, it might be like, you know, barnyard animals and shapes and colors. For a five-year-old, it might be, wow, Jack knows every single principle of the solar system. So let's tie in a game on distance control and putting and have him putt to different planets, right? If you do that with a three-year-old, right. it's not going to make sense. If you do it with a 12-year-old, they're going to be like, dude, we studied solar system when we were like seven. I, like, I'm not, <laughs> you know, this is baby stuff. So it's, you just got to understand where they are. For, for a three-year-old, it might be, hey, let's putt along the train track and let's let's do the alphabet. Can you putt in the letter A? And can you say three things that start with a letter A? Or can you draw the letter A? Maybe not for a three-year-old. But, you know, can you recognize the letter A? And can you go put your feet on it and putt from it? If you do that with a five-year-old, like you lose them. So it's, it's really tying in their interests and getting to understand what makes the five, the six, the seven, the eight-year-old tick. I had a group of girls years ago and I learned very early on they were like seven-year-olds, a bunch of seven-year-old girls. We just needed to put the golf clubs down and do some cartwheels and and have a fashion show. And then we turned it into a golf activity where we would do we had to do like three cartwheels, dance around for five seconds, and then hit a chip shot. And they loved it, you know, and it was right up their alley. But sometimes you just have to put the golf clubs down and like get on the level of what they're interested in and then figure out a way to tie that into the actual golf activity at hand. For sure. And I think for parents listening, you know, you and I are both golf coaches and there's so many times that I think the golf clubs do need to be put down. And like you said, just go do cartwheels or throw water balloons or, you know, just to kind of switch the gear and what's going on and then bring them back into golf in a different way with different excitement and different fun. Right. And, you know, for me, you know, especially in the role I've had uh, as of recently is I'm always afraid that parents are look at me and think, what the heck is he doing? He's supposed to be fixing his grip and, you know, checking the trackman numbers and doing this and that. Right. But I I think it's so important that parents also understand, like, you know, just because for these five minutes, we're taking a step away from quote unquote golf doesn't mean that it has, it doesn't have a connection or it doesn't mean it's not going to help with their development. Right. And I think it's important for parents to understand that. I think that's really cool that you incorporate that into your coaching. Yeah, for sure. I mean, again, I go back again, 10 minutes ago, it's a sense of belonging and, and community. And that's what you're creating when in all of those moments, whether they're holding a golf club or they're not, you're creating an experience for these children that they want to come back. They will eventually, as a result, build on their experiences and hopefully improve. For sure. I think community is everything. Yeah. So when is a child ready to learn in a structured class environment? At what age do you think is a good age to start? I've started as early as two. And I mean, it just depends on what kind of environment you're creating. And I'd like to think my program is case in point. But since 2007, we've been teaching, we started off teaching three, four and five year olds. But then as time went on, we had parents ask for their two year olds. And so we started a program in the spring. We gave them, you know, the opportunity in the fall to kind of acclimate to school and acclimate to separation from their parents. And we started a little program for two-year-olds. Um, and it's it's very heavily based on creative movement that I taught. Like I draw from a lot of experiences that I used to teach in, in the preschool setting, which I taught a discipline called creative movement. And so we build on that and we, we start adding in, you know, we start with parallel skills, spatial awareness, 
rolling the ball, that kind of thing, um, promoting listening skills, promoting a group environment where they feel comfortable. And then very slowly and gently, we start introducing these birdieisms, these golf concepts. But, you know, children automatically want to play and want to listen to stories. And that's how we that's how we do it. So I think if if it's the right environment, children are very, very capable young human beings. And if you can craft that whole child learning environment, you can start them young. But if you're going to try to hand them a putter and make them expect that they're going to understand what, what a, a little swing is and not pick up the putter and whack it, you know, then you know, you're barking up the wrong tree. But if you can start to really understand the small little developmental chunks and build on that, then you can, you can start them early. That's cool. I'd like to hear where did this idea of Brody Basics come from? I know you touched a little bit about you know, when you went walk through the library and you went through that environment, and you had that aha moment. But I'd like to hear more about the, you know, the idea of Birdie Basics and how it formed. Yeah. Well, so after years of teaching children in the preschool, I was I became the full time creative movement teacher, and I developed a curriculum over the next ten years. And it was in that time frame. It was in two thousand one. I started playing golf. I mean, I didn't play golf growing up. I thought it was kind of boring. Um, <laughs> and now that now now that I was a school teacher, and now that I had I was living in the city for several years at that point, lost touch with being an athlete, just kind of going to the gym and running on the treadmill and not really having a purpose. Uh, some friends of mine that I was teaching with at this preschool invited me to go out on the weekend and play golf. And it hit me like a ton of bricks. And so I started playing seriously. I started, you know, I got a coach. I practiced every day in the summer. I played 36 holes with the guys on Saturdays. I just fell in love with it. And I became an LPJ teaching professional, kept my job, you know, teaching preschool. And then I was, I was working as an assistant pro at Montauk Downs. And I thought because of my fitness background, because I was a sports medicine major, I thought, well, let me get into like, you know, TPI kinds of things. Let me show these guys that if they lengthen their lats, they can hit the ball farther. Well, I was <laughs> in Montauk Downs in a resort community where people were not spending money or extra time to lengthen their lats. And I was like, what are we <laughs> doing? Like, I have children right underneath my nose. I'm good at gathering children. I'm good at teaching young children. Let me see if I can teach children golf. So I approached the director of my nursery school and I was like, Hey, I found out about this like snag golf equipment. What would you think about me teaching an after school program? And she's like, go for it. And so I had eight kids sign up on a Monday, eight kids sign up on a Wednesday. I taught them for 45 minutes and 900 square feet in the basement of this preschool where I taught creative movement. And I pulled out all my tricks of creative movement, like so foam blocks and hula hoops and scarves and shadow screens that we turned into driving ranges in the dark. And I started creating this class and it took off. Kids that graduated from preschool and went on to kindergarten, parents started asking me to do the class in Central Park and, and bring it to their new kindergarten school. And so it just took off. So I formed the Urban Golf Academy. I hired coaches. And it was over the next several years where I had to, because I was hiring more and more coaches, because I now had 500 kids in the program, I had to come up with a curriculum, right? Like I had to actually sit down and write, this is what you know, Coach Adam does when he goes to St. David's. And over that time, what also happened was I had a great, great, great branding company called Think So. They sat me down. We went over mission and vision and values. And they said, you need a mascot. Like you need, you need a character so these children can, you know, connect to. And they came up with several ideas and birdie, no pun intended, flew to the top. And here, here it was, this little <laughs> character. That's cool. And we started writing stories around Birdie. We started, you know, characterizing her. I mean, she's she's anything and everything. You can see Birdie as a cowboy, as a doctor, as a mailman, as a 
astronaut, as a daredevil. So all of these stories about Birdie are these children are connecting to. And, and then we created a language. So I just found myself over time using the same metaphors with these children, like seeing the same opportunities for improvement, but saying things like magic shoes and magic tracks and, hey, let's, you know, let's get our hands or best friends or, you know, let's try swinging like different animals. And, and, and that would be tempo. And so we created these birdieisms and we now have a library of 45 birdieisms that teach technical and tactical things of golf, but just in really super fun, friendly child speak. And we packaged it all together and created Birdie Basics. Very cool. Would you call it story-based learning? Is that what we would call it? Yeah, it's a story-based curriculum. So we have 52 weeks. Each week is a completely different story. We start off with just, you know, I'll give you one example. Safety is obviously of utmost importance when you're teaching young beginning golfers. So instead of sitting there talking about, you know, blah, 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 boring, 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 safety, 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 we actually, (laughs) we play through it. We tell the story, you know, Bernie didn't have her listening ears on and she got bonked on the head by a flying golf ball because she wasn't in her safety circle. And it's going to be your job today to get all of the injured birdies to the ambulance so that Dr. Birdie can fix her up. And so the child goes into this learning environment like, oh, yeah, I got to help Birdie. She's injured. And then she looks at this game board and sees these six different characters like Pink Birdie has her wing in a sling and Green Birdie has, you know, a cast on her leg and the Blue Birdie's on crutches. And they have to like physically get this game piece over to the game board. And in order to do that, they've got to get on their magic shoes, put their ball between their magic tracks, line up their ball and best ball and club are best friends and then make the tic-tac swing. And if they get their ball into the target zone, then their friend gets to run the game piece over, put it on the ambulance and get right back to the safety zone. And that's a heck of a lot more fun for a three-year-old than okay, guys, we're going to make this three foot putt. Let's see if we can do it 10 times. And while we're doing that, we're going to make sure our feet are in the right position. We're going to square up the club face, you know, all that stuff. Like that's super boring. Sounds more fun even for me as an adult, to be honest. (laughs) Right. And and we are wired for story. And we, I don't just mean three-year-olds, we, all of us are wired for story. It's why you're doing this podcast, right? You want to tell a story. You want your listeners to hear the story of how you know, this crazy person in New York plays with puppets and teaches golf. Well, there's something in that story. And it's the same thing, even more so for young children. No, that's, it's so cool. My oldest son, he looks at this Curious George golf book and he sees some different activities and games that are in it and he'll just flip a page and then he says, okay, I want to play the same game. And it's like, he just wants to reenact what he sees and what Curious George is doing from the yeah. story, right? And so we get up yeah. and we we try to make something that looks similar to that activity or that game or whatever he's doing. And then we play it for a few minutes and he runs back, flips the page and says, okay, I want to play this game now. And yeah. it's that connection from story. And and I know this is something that you do. And, and it's just, to me, it's just, it hit home so much when learning more about what your program is. So that's, it's just so cool. Yeah. Thanks. Hey, I'll have to send I'm, it's your address after this. I want to send your, your little guy our, our latest, greatest playbook, which I think you'll find fun. Oh, that would be amazing. That would be awesome. So why is it is getting young children into sports so beneficial for the development? Like, Are there different skills that you teach in your classes? Well, I mean, sport in general, right? I mean, I think we're, we're all physical creatures. And the more physical experiences we have and success with those experiences, the more confidence we build. I mean, that's the basic answer, right? It's just sport provides so many opportunities to not only develop physically, but socially, emotionally, cognitively, spiritually, creatively. I mean, all of that, it's the, it's the whole person package if it's done well and it's, it's done right. Otherwise it's, you know, 
the screaming dad on the sidelines at the soccer matches, which we know where that goes. <laughs> well, you know, one thing I wanted to add to that is I've heard you talk about teaching through senses. So tell, tell me a little bit more about that, because that's something I personally have never done in my coaching, uh, or at least touched on all the senses. And I'd like to hear more about that. Yeah, I mean, well, I think taking a multi-sensory approach, sensory experiences are so important in early childhood, and they are through through throughout life, right? It's why people are drawn to the arts and cooking and, you know, different smells and what have you. But the more experiences children have through the senses, the better. I mean, that's how they're learning about their world, and the more you can tie it in. So, So as an example, in our curriculum, we want children to get their hands on materials because when your two and a half year old walks in a room and sees things, he wants to go like hands first, dive right in and touch it. And mm-hmm. he should, right. you know, as long as it's not, as long as it's not dangerous. Right. So we, you know, we, we call them the magic materials that we use. And these are things that the children, we want them to manipulate, get their hands on and play through because it provides so many opportunities for problem solving and collaborative play and, and, and thinking creatively. You know, it's, it's sometimes it's a matter of playing music in the background, just so that, again, it's like engaging that sense using a lot of colors, obviously, but multi-sensory experiences when it just lights up the brain and there's just a, there's a deeper sense of engagement and learning that goes on when, whenever you can, it's why when you walk into a preschool, you see like shaving cream and a water table, or you see like the cranberry bog with water and a bunch of cranberries and a bunch of three-year-olds playing in it. It's why we have Play-Doh. It's why, you know, you let them splatter paint. It's why you let your two and a half year old get really messy at dinner time. It's why you have water play. I mean, it's just, it's so important. Uh, and it's just, it's, again, it's so much more than just, oh, that's cute. You know, you're letting him play with shaving cream. No, there's a real sensory experience going on and that is lighting up their brain. You know, when you're saying those things and I'm just thinking about the conventional way of teaching golf for any junior golfer, even adults, right? It just kind yeah. of on the surface, it just seems so boring. Yeah. And what yeah. you're talking about, is like, I would want to walk into that environment myself. And certainly yeah. I would, I want my kids to walk into that type of environment because yeah. you know that they're going to have fun, right? And yeah. they may yeah. walk out and you ask them, oh, how was golf class? And does it really matter if they can't show you how, they, how they're how they supposed to hold the club or grip the club or stand on that day? No, they're going to come back out and they're just going to be buzzing, right? And they're going to be right. so excited to go back to class. That's going to snowball. And yeah. over time, and like you said, through a process, the kids are going to begin to come, they're going to become interested in the game of golf. Yeah, for sure. And I think starting them out on that note is is just so vital, isn't it? And yeah. I think it's very interesting. Another thing I'd like to touch on is a lot of people that come to golf, they say, oh, my kid's too young for golf. I'm, have you heard that before? Sure, sure. Yeah, I mean, I, unless they're like in diapers, and then maybe I would say, yeah, they, you know, right now they just need to be taking a plastic club and hitting a large playground ball on the back and just, right. you know, but I mean, I've had parents of four, five, six-year-olds say that, and that's just, that's crazy to me. <laughs> it's crazy to me to think that any golf facility in the world doesn't have a program for seven and under. Like, that's just, it's so old school, you know, thought mentality, like, Kids are so ripe and ready when the right environment is created for them. Oh, yeah. There's these parent groups when we were living in Shanghai. And my wife and I would take our son to these groups. And they weren't about golf, but it was just more about activities. So there'd be songs and there'd be uh, balloons and things flying around. And the environment was just jazzed. I mean, it was pumped up, right? I mean, even myself, I felt like, geez, I got to stand up and dance. I don't know what else I'm supposed to do, right? And, (laughs) you know... 
and I'm thinking, I was like, well, why aren't we doing this for golf? Why aren't we doing something similar where there's, you know, there is a story behind this. There's activities and it's not just all stand here, swing the club, hit the ball. It's about yeah. getting them involved and, and getting their interest level up at such yeah. an early age because they're capable of doing a lot of things, right? Totally. Totally. It's just, it's just that you got to take the golf pro hat off and it's not tee to green necessarily. It's playing a game within the game of golf. And it's, it's not about shooting par and getting them right up on the tee box. It's There's so much more to it. One thing I got from your website, I think this is your slogan, connect, create, play, and empower. Is that right? Yeah. Those are those are the tenets of the program. You know, it's creating it's it's creating an environment where children really feel connected. It's a very super playful environment. We want children to walk away feeling empowered, um, and we do everything we can to to make that happen. As a parent, and certainly in current times, how can parents help their young children, whether they're golfers now or golfers to be, to start to empower them and allow them to start to play and maybe some resources that they could they can get from Birdie Basics to help them with that at home? Yeah, well, we, as a result of the pandemic, and it was something that I was thinking about for, for a while before that's just helped us pivot there a little bit quicker, we created these at-home playbooks. And so we've taken six, we started off with summer themes because obviously the, the pandemic struck at a time when summer was approaching. Um, and so we took six of our favorite summer themes, Birdie's Barbecue, Birdie's Lemonade Stand, Birdie has a pool party, she goes to the beach, and there's one other one. Oh, she has an ice cream truck. And we created these at-home playbooks. And it's a, it's a sticker book, but then it has also the magic materials that we use throughout each class. So you get a set of magic shoes, magic tracks, you get some birdie dollars and birdie coins, just really fun, hands-on material that children can play through. And we give you a video series on how you can implement these games at home. So, you know, very first story is birdie's having a barbecue and we got to get her, you know, the best ingredients to throw on the grill. So we... You know, we teach the parent and the child how to set up their activity at home using homemade materials and using some of our magic materials. And, um, you know, the child thinks that they're every time they make this putt or get it through the target zone, they run the hamburger sticker over to Birdie's picnic table. And there's many other things that are associated with it. But it's it's a story based, play based at home approach to six modules that you can easily engage your child for 30 minutes. So putting, full swing activities, um, there are coloring sheets, and we give you the language of birdieism. So we give you the 15 core birdieisms that we feel really resonate with the brand new beginning young golfers that you can speak to your child in the same language that we've been doing for close to 20 years. And it's all just wrapped up in this simple little playbook that children can color and get their hands on and use the stickers and keep them engaged while they're learning how to line up their golf ball and line up the square up the club face and make a little swing or make a trophy finish and a big full swing. That's so cool. What kind of feedback have you gotten from the parents so far with, with that? It's been great. I mean, right now we, we, the vast majority of the playbooks are going out to our birdie basics members. And so those are other golf professionals that actually have classes of, you know, 10, 12 kids, and they've been using the playbooks. They've been giving the playbooks to their children. I mean, it's been great feedback, right? right. It'll be interesting to see the parents that are buying into it right now are current users of Birdie because they've been a part of the city program or they've been a part of my Montauk program. So it'll be interesting to see how somebody that has no clue what Birdie is, maybe sees it on Instagram, like, oh, that's cool. I want to get my four-year-old involved in golf. It'll be interesting to see. I think it's going to be 
a big hit, quite honestly, um, because it is, I think it just immediately taps into what a child needs, which is play-based learning. And for a parent that might not know how to do that in the golf world, here it is. Like this is tried and true since 2001. We've been working with this age group. We know what resonates with children. We know how to speak to them. And we're giving you these same tools of success that we've had. And by the way, here's this little mascot that your your child's going to love. Yeah, it's cool. Now, you made me just think of something and it's going to be a challenge for myself and it should be some good feedback for you is I'm going to go on and I'm going to send one of the books to my nephew who's four years old and he has had a little bit of golf experience, but not very much, but he's very much into stories and I think this would be something perfect for him. So I'm going to send him the book and I am very curious to hear what the feedback is going to be and I'm going to tell you all about it. Yeah. So I'm looking forward to that challenge. Yeah. That's cool. (laughs) It really, yeah, it really sparked. So for coaches that would be listening to this. Why should a coach join Birdie Basics? Like, And do they have to be a golf coach to coach Birdie Basics? They definitely do not. In fact, out of all the coaches that I've ever had through Urban Golf Academy, two have been golf professionals. The rest, 99% are not. They're educators. They're in the creative services, just people that can connect to children. It's, you know, years ago when I had a good friend of mine, he, he looked me right in the eye and he said, Tempesta, you need to do more of this. It's the right thing to do for children. And when you ask that question, that's immediately what I think. I mean, you know, okay, we can sit here and talk about ROI of the program and, and how many kids there are at your facility that you're not tapping into because you don't know how to teach this age group. But here's a tried and true program. It's turnkey. You can tell these same stories, set up the same learning environment. We're going to give you the same language and you can immediately start making money. That, that there's absolute truth in that. But at the end of the day, it's really about doing the right thing for children. And so if you've got a program that's like eight and over, and these kids are going off on the golf course and playing and you got little Johnny on the sidelines. Well, why can't I play? Why can't I play? Like, it's the right thing to do for children. Like this is a, this is a whole child approach. It is something that creates a sense of belonging, a sense of community, a sense of empowerment, provides an opportunity for them to create and connect with their peers. It's the right thing to do for children. It's something that ties in, what they're learning in their classroom, what they're learning about their world. It ties in a multi-sensory approach. It's the right thing to do for children. And by the way, it's going to help you make money, which, you know, win-win. I mean, like that story of story. Yeah. Like it's, yeah. But at the end of the day, it's, that's, that's why I'm in it because it's the right thing to do for children. So where can people find more about Birdie Basics? What's the best platform for them to, to search? You can go right to our website. Um, it's kind of a one-stop shop. So if you're a parent or a professional, a grandfather looking for a playbook for their child, you just go to www.birdie-basics.com, B-I-R-D-I-E-basics.com. I post a ton on Instagram, which is birdie underscore basics. And that's it. So you can, if you're a professional that's looking to run group classes and wants to buy into a curriculum and be a member, then you can go to Birdie Basics. If you're a parent that just wants a playbook and some ideas on how to create a learning environment at home, you can you can go to the website. It'll steer you in the right direction once you click on like parent professional. And that's it. Any final words of inspiration for parents raising golfers? Embrace the process. This isn't it doesn't happen overnight. Enjoy it, embrace it, listen to your child. This is a this is, you know, ask them what they thought about it. This is about them. It's not about you. And whether they're playing in a tournament and shooting par is not going to be indicative of how they turn out as a human being. And enjoy these moments of just really letting your child be a child and don't rush through it. 
Well, that was perfect. And I think everything you've shared today from your knowledge, your experience, and just your story leading up to Birdie Basics and the service of what you provide and what you're doing for the game of golf, I think is absolutely amazing. And I'm a big fan and I had a lot of fun chatting with you today, Kate. So thanks so much for coming on the show today. Travis, thanks for giving me the sense of belonging. It's amazing. Oh, that was a lot of fun chatting with Kate Tempesta from Birdie Basics. She's the industry leader in early child development in the game of golf. Some of my takeaways were how important story-based learning is for young children. And what I mentioned in the podcast is how I can actually relate with my young son. He's two and a half years old, and he loves going through his Curious George golf book. And all he wants to do is simulate what he reads in the book, or at least he sees. And I think what she's doing is created a whole program around story-based learning and story-based curriculum. And I think it's one way to really positively influence your young children into the game of golf. And another thing I took away was that fun is not always the same for all, all ages of children. If you have a three-year-old or a five-year-old or an eight-year-old, the way that they have fun is all different. And as parents, we have to make sure that when we are engaging our kid or involving them in the game of golf, that we're doing it the right way where it's a way that the kids can have fun and thrive and want to continue to play golf over and over and over. And one thing that she mentioned is it's never too early to get your child into the game of golf. You just have to introduce it to them in the right way. So if your kid's still young, if they're a year old or somewhere between uh, one and two years old, get them a plastic club. Let them hit a big balloon or let them hit a big ball. That's what I did with my son. And I'll tell you what, he absolutely loved it and it sent him on the right track to where he is now today. One thing that we agreed on is that immersing your child into the world of golf is a way to create a lifetime golfer. So what I mean by that is don't let them just go to one lesson and come back and that's the end of their experience. Let them go into a program, a program like Birdie Basics. And after Birdie Basics, they can come home, they can get their summer playbook, and they can do some activities at home. In addition to that, some other things you can do is let them watch golf or maybe they can watch some cartoons of golf and take them outside and talk to them about grass, talk about some things or sand that's related to golf. And you really immerse them into this whole world of golf. And the next thing you know, they're going to start thinking that golf is life and that is fun. And that is certainly a way to get them to really thrive and stay in the sport of golf for a long time. If you haven't already, go check out birdiebasics.com and get your playbook today. I know I'm going to get mine right now and I'm gonna send one to my nephew, and I'm so excited to share this experience with them. If you enjoy listening to our podcast and the information you got from this episode, do us a favor and continue to support us by hitting that subscribe button and giving us a five-star review. Your continued support will help us continue to grow and be able to interview some of the most experienced parents, coaches, and players in the golf industry to help you continue to raise your golfer to their full potential. 